You'll notice it says meditation in the word instead of the ministry of the word, which means we put something together that can be elongated or abbreviated as much as is needed, depending on how responsive you all were with our favorite hymns. What I want us to do is to take a few moments just to focus on Christ and to think about what a blessing it is uh, to be one of his children. The story is told of in the colonial days when one of the individuals, after Brainerd and others had done a ministry with the Indians uh, in the New England area, uh, came over from England and was observing this young Indian uh, brave. And what he found is, is that he kept talking about Christ. Every time he spoke about what his hope was and what he looked forward to, his answer was always Christ. And what was so strange to this uh, Englishman was he didn't talk about his church and his church affiliation or something about what he was doing. He kept talking about Christ. And so finally, in bewilderment, this Englishman asked the Indian native, why do you make so much about Christ? And instead of answering the question, he gathered up some twigs and some leaves and he put them into a circle and he ignited them. And then he found a little earthworm and put it in the midst of the circle. And that little earthworm tried to go one direction or another direction, but every way it tried to move, it encountered the flames of the fire that encircled it. And eventually that earthworm curled itself up in the center of that circle, ready to expire. And at that moment, the Indian brave put his hand into the circle, pulled out the worm, and delivered it from its certain death. And he then said, You want to know why I make so much of Christ? I'm that worm. I was engulfed in my sin with a certainty of eternal damnation from God. But the God who is rich in mercy reached down and delivered me from my certain judgment and identified me with himself through Jesus Christ, my Lord. We gather at this his table And we are gathering, as he said, to do this in remembrance of him. We remember full well that the one we're remembering is the one who knew no sin, but he became sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we partake of the bread, we're reminded that a body was prepared for him. And he became that willing sacrifice on behalf of others. He's the one that endured the wrath of the Father that those who trust him will never experience, never taste of the wrath of the Almighty God. He also took a cup at that Passover meal when he was with his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant In my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we remember the cup. 
signifying His blood, the very life that He gave, what it really reinforces for us is the fact that God has pledged His life on the reality of the new covenant blessings to all of His people. Even as we sang in that great hymn by Charles Wesley, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. But your eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke, and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was set free. I rose, I went forth, and followed thee. Because the new covenant promise is not just that God justifies those who put their trust in Him. He also begins a process of transforming them into the image of Christ. And by His grace, sets them free from the dominating, ruling power of sin. Hallelujah. You know it. And that's what we're remembering at His table. But what is even more important than what He has done is who it is who did it. That Thou, my God, should die for me. No obligation to Him. His first humiliation is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God clothed Himself in human form and manifested the grace of God and the person of God during His earthly life. Paul recounts this in Colossians chapter 1. And for a moment, I want you to turn there to see what Paul says about both who has accomplished this great work and what it is that he performed. Colossians is a book that addresses the church at Colossae with a focus on Christ as the head of the church. Those that have been with me know that I have mentioned to you before, it has a sister or a companion epistle. Which is that epistle? Ephesians. And both Ephesians and Colossians almost follow the same format as if Paul had an outline, but a different focus. In Ephesians, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. And in Colossians, the focus and emphasis Paul makes is Christ as the head of the church. And in this section, As we open up this little letter, we see Paul's description of the incomparable Christ who delivers his people from their sin. In fact, many have said that if we ever looked for a section in the Bible that was a teaching on Christology. Now, what do I mean by that jawbreaker? Something that tells us what God wants us to understand about Christ in who He is and what He's done. The paragraph that is basically found in verses 13 through 23 
of Colossians 1 is Paul's Christology. Paul's focus on Christ. Who he is and what he has done. And what Paul basically says is, our Savior, our God, is incomprehensible and incomparable. A great God that has done a work on undeserving sinners like the Indian brave told the Englishman, I was that worm engulfed in the fires that I deserved in divine judgment and Christ delivered me from divine wrath. You'll notice he says in verse 13, for he, speaking of the Father, as he is offering this praise to God, he, God the Father, oh how deep the love of the Father for us. Right, Mark? He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Where were we? Well, we were children of wrath, even as the rest. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. But God the Father in his work delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us where? Into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And what do we have in Jesus Christ our Lord? We have redemption. He's paid the price. Every debt I owe, as the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. Therefore, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but what did God do? He washed it white as snow. And with that, the forgiveness of sins. In our earlier teaching hour, we were in Psalm 103, and you appreciate the reality of what David said in that psalm where he says, as far as the east is from the west, two points of the compass that never meet. I emphasize the integrity and veracity of God's word by reminding them in that hour that he didn't say as far as the north is from the south because north and south meet. You go north when you get to the North Pole, you start going south. You go south, you get to the South Pole and you keep walking, you head north. But you start walking east. And never as you encircle the globe will you start walking west. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The forgiveness of sins. And then notice Paul says, now I want you to understand who did all of this, and he. In fact, he keeps stating this emphatically throughout this whole section where he focuses on Christ. He himself is. And as one interpreter or commentator of the book of Colossians stated, what you need to understand is that the Christ of the Apostle Paul described for us in this section of Colossians is the great Yahweh from the book of Isaiah. He is the great I Am. He is the beginning and the end. He is the only true God. He is the image, the icon, the exact representation of the invisible God. There is nothing diminished in the character of the God-man Jesus Christ 
that is not a perfect manifestation of what God is like. When you go to the Gospels and you start reading about Jesus Christ, every time you hear Him speak, everything you see Him do, you are seeing God manifested in the flesh and God at work. When we do this in remembrance of Him, that Thou, my God, would die for me. Who is this God that died on behalf of others? Who willingly laid Himself down that others would be set free from their sin? Notice He says in verse 16, In Him, that is in Christ, all things were created. Well, it doesn't matter whether we talk about the heavenly realm or the earthly realm. Whether we talk about spirit beings, the invisible beings, or the physical beings. All things have been created through Him. And for whom? For Him. God is the source of our very existence. And He created all things for His own good pleasure to serve Him. Every once in a while I hear an ad on the radio and it says one of the greatest gifts you can give to anybody is to have a star named after them. There's a star registry. I want to tell you, if you fall for that, come and see me and I will have a country named after you. (laughs) You cannot name something that you do not rule. Only God rules the stars of the heavens. Isaiah 40 says that not any one of the stars is missing because He upholds them by the dynamic of His power. And He calls every one of them by name. And He didn't call any of them Joe Saul. And He didn't call any of them by your name no matter how much money you pay to have your name registered there. That's what Paul's saying here. Who is the sovereign ruler over all the universe? Who's the one that brought it all into existence? Who's the one that now holds it all together? In Him all things consist. It is Jesus Christ, my Lord. And when we gather at this His table, and we remember His willing sacrifice, we marvel at the display of His grace that He was not obligated to do this for anyone or anything but all for His eternal glory. This do, He said, in remembrance of Me. And if you do not fall down with a grateful, trembling heart when you say that Thou, my God, would die for me. That's the one we remember at this, his table. Let's pray.